As we begin today's sermon, I want to point us back to last week where we finished. And last week we talked about the topic of anxiety, and the basic prayer that I shared with you, two words, was take it, right? Take it. And I think how uh, I did not anticipate that how much, how many opportunities we'd have this past week to put that prayer into practice, correct? I mean, in terms of water and water damage and questions about storms and other things, um, if you're like me, I found myself praying that prayer multiple times. In fact, if you're with us last week or joined us last week online, I invite you to put your hands up like this and to pray this prayer again, right? Take it, go, take it. One more time, one, two, three, take it. Right? And that's a basic prayer rooted in 1 Peter 5, 7, when Peter shared, cast all your anxiety on him, meaning God, because he cares for you, right? And so to cast our anxiety on God, right, to go to God first before we try and deal with it ourselves or go to the phone and kind of share our anxieties with others. And so that prayer continues. Um, as we shift to today's focus, I want to ask a question as you think about your life, as you think about whether it's the things that you own or things that you care for, um, when do you realize that there's a problem that requires your attention or a change, right? Think about the things that you own, the possessions that you have, right? Maybe it's a car, maybe it's a house. And when do you realize that there's a problem that requires your attention or a change, right? I've reflected on this question a lot at different times over my life as I think about, yeah, things like my cars and starting to make some weird noises. When, is, when do I pay attention to it? My house, that needs to be fixed or replaced, or even my own physical body, right, where there's different symptoms, things that show up saying maybe something's not right. And then I face a choice. Am I going to pay attention to that, or am I going to ignore it, just hoping that it goes away? Um, this reminds me of a story from about 13 years ago when my family lived in Maple Valley, Washington, uh, near Seattle. And in this house, where we lived, uh, the, the dishwasher needed some work. And so we had someone work on it and it seemed like it was fine. And then after a week or so, my wife, Laurie, who's very attentive to details, pointed out the fact that there was a little bump in the kitchen floor. And I said, well, maybe there's a bump there, but you know, I think it was there before. It's probably not a big deal. Well, a couple days went by, a couple weeks went by and that bump seemed to get larger and larger. And as you think about it, I'm like, did it really get larger or not? Am I just seeing things? And, you know, our daughter's like, that thing's getting bigger. I mean, she was only five years old at that point. We should have listened to her. And, and eventually it became very clear because that bump grew to be what seemed like the size of a, a small pitching mound, right, that a baseball player can get and throw off the mound. And, and we said, this needs our attention. This needs help. And so we had someone take a look at it. And once we got underneath, we saw that, yeah, there was a slow leak in the dishwasher just a couple drops of water a day, the person said, that would get out. And with the heat combined with then, we saw this bump that kept growing and growing. And so there was an end, significant water damage um, that needed to be addressed. Um, in many ways, that story, I think, mirrors different aspects of our lives where there are symptoms or things that we see, whether it's, again, things that we own um, that need our attention. We're like, oh, you know, do I ignore the problem or do I address it? Or maybe, again, our physical bodies are definitely relationships. As you think about the different relationships in which you find yourself, right? When all of a sudden, man, something seems a little off, or maybe I said something or did something that could be hurtful to another person. Should I address it? Should I try and ignore it and just hope it goes away? Well, if that plays out physically, if that plays out relationally, no doubt, I believe it plays out spiritually, right? In our relationship with God. And, and then many times we find ourselves through the, throughout our days that there's something that could feel off with God. And typically that feeling where something is off comes because we 
on our own volition, our own decision, choose to disregard God's ways, right? We may ignore him, we may rebel against him, but we disregard his ways. And it's what the Bible calls sin, right? One definition of a sin is is breaking one of God's laws or commands based on what we've done or failed to do. Let me say that again. One definition of sin is, is breaking one of God's laws or commands based on what we've done or failed to do. And when we sin against God, and when we sin and die disregarding his ways, we can experience a disconnect with God that something is off. Right? And the sin, it's like there's a line that's been laid out, right? Laid out in God's word, right? His loving instruction for our lives of how life is. And with that line there that we see it, even little kids, we see it typically, they want to kind of walk along that line, right? Whatever that line is. And it doesn't change even though we may get older or for me, balder in life, right? It, it, that line is still there. And at different points, we will step over that line. Or another, way, another word to describe that is we would transgress, and go beyond that line. And that's why other times sins are called transgressions as we step beyond the line. Again, breaking one of God's laws or commands by what we do or fail to do. Uh, and these sinful attitudes and actions have real impacts on our lives. So today we're gonna look at a picture of the impact of sin on our lives and our relationship with God. We're gonna consider how God has given us the strange gift, and I use that word, those words intentionally. God has given us the strange gift of conviction that can lead us back to him, right? This symptom of convicting guilt can be a gift if we let it draw us back to God. Now, if you're like me, I'm hard on myself. I mean, I beat myself up. When I make a mistake, like before anyone else can criticize me, I've already beaten myself up. I've had to bring that to God. And so I could find myself looking down and, and with guilt and shame when I, when I disregard God's commands, when I sin against him, when I hurt another person, especially if it's a family member or a close friend. I could find myself looking down. But God, God has taught me through his word, through my relationship with Christ, that in him, as we come to him, as we confess our sins to him, that he invites us and calls us to look up and to look up again. So that's the focus of today's sermon, the confession of our sins. And we're going to do this as we conclude my opening sermon series that's been called Let's Dance. Right? This is the final sermon in this series. And so I want us to finish on a strong note. From the beginning, if you've been with us, I've called for you to say those words. I invite you to say those words again. Let's dance. Man, you came ready to play today. All right, let's say one more time, a little more volume. I don't know if you could get louder than that. One more time. Let's dance, right? That's an invitation. Or you think about whether it's if someone who says, let's dance, let's go, let's go to the party, let's dance. But dance partners, right, it takes time. It takes time to get to know one another. It takes time to build trust. And during this sermon series with you, I've been seeking to share that as an image of leadership, right? A picture of leadership where someone says, let's dance, but it takes time. It takes building trust. And sometimes it includes stepping on toes in the process. But as two dance partners get to know each other and they learn to trust one another, there's a rhythm to that and there's a joy in that rhythm, but it takes time. And so in this opening series, I've been sharing some of the primary topics and convictions that God's brought to me over the years, uh, whether it's in terms of my faith in Christ or my convictions as a pastor. So you would have a window into my heart, mind, and soul 
as we move into this new chapter together. And so today, yes, the focus is the confession of our sins. And so to do this, we're going to look at a psalm, right? one of King David's psalms, Psalm 32. And I love David. David just, he doesn't hold back. And in, as he wrote these psalms and wrote these prayers, I mean, it's a window into his heart and soul. But really, it's a picture, again, of someone who is a man after God's own heart. And though David, I love it because the Bible doesn't hold back. David had his issues, right? David sinned. David wasn't perfect. He was the king, but he needed grace. All of us need grace. David needed grace. And so in Psalm 32 is one picture of David in terms of sharing about his experience with sins and confession. And so for us, by extension today, I believe this psalm was inspired by the Holy Spirit, put in the canon of Scripture for us today, September 5th, 2021, that we can learn about the role of confession of sins in our lives. And so David, just to set the scene, he begins the psalm by sharing about what it means to be blessed. And it's not the normal description that you probably would expect. In essence, blessed in the Bible speaks more to being in a close, intimate connection with God and in a relationship with him. And so starting in Psalm 32, verse 1, he talks about what it means to be blessed. But then he talks about the disruption into that relationship. And we'll follow along and see what happens with him as he comes through this full cycle of that disruption of that connection and then back. And keep in mind the, con- the confession of sin along the way. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 32, uh, whether you're here with us in person or if you're joining us online today. And Psalm 32, you're going to start in verse 1. Listen to this from King David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. All right, so we're going to walk through the psalm, right? David begins by saying, Boy, blessed, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, right? And whose sins are covered. Right, blessed in the Bible, there's is, this is a specific way of looking at it. Many of us come, all of us come to probably a different definition of blessed. Right, different people have different understandings of blessing, but a biblical understanding of blessing is a, is a picture of flourishing. It's flourishing in an intimate, connected relationship with God. 
And so we see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, right, and what's been known, come to be known as the Beatitudes, right, in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, shares about what it means to be blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? And so a person who's blessed is someone who is that connected, deep connection with God, because ultimately they're living with, under his rule and his reign, trusting him, following him, living according to his assumptions about life, not our own. So here, David calls upon that word. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Meaning that God is not counting those transgressions against that person whose sins are covered, right? And who does not try to conceal these sins. And I love that at the end of verse two, he says, in in whose spirit is no deceit. Meaning there's no self-deception. It's wide open. It's God, here's my life. I'm gonna be honest with you. You already know it all, but I'm gonna be honest with you and share with you what's happening in my life. And there's no deceit. It's complete transparency and openness with God. Here, David said, this is a picture of a blessed life. We have nothing to hide, right? God, you already know it all. I'm gonna be honest with you, right? It's not gonna surprise you when I confess my sins. You already know them, but I'm gonna confess them to you and I'm gonna be blessed and have that connection. But David's not perfect. We're not perfect. And we see that David's not perfect here because he paints a picture in verses three and four of what happens when he didn't confess his sins to God, when he kept it to himself. He says in verse three, when I kept silent, meaning he didn't share with God, he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, right? He said, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Almost 24 hours a day, he felt God's hand on him. This, again, this strange gift of conviction that God's hand was on him saying, come back, come back. This is not right, right? He says his strength was sapped, sapped as in the heat of summer. Here, David, in this situation, we don't know what specific sin he's writing about, but whatever it was, as he said, and he was quiet when he didn't come to God, that these were some of the symptoms of what he was experiencing, that something wasn't right in his relationship with God and something wasn't right in his own life. He just felt sapped. His strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David had a choice. Remain silent, ignore it, right? Have someone pat him on the back and tell him how great he was, that he was the best king ever, and that don't worry about all those bad feelings, just ignore them, put them aside. No, no, no. David, David, we read in verse five, said he acknowledged, he goes, then I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity. Listen to this, he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened then at the end of verse five, he, he records, he goes, and God, you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Right here, so David didn't ignore the symptoms. David didn't ignore the problems. David didn't look at that little bump on the bottom of the kitchen floor and say, that's not a big deal and let it grow over time. He decided to bring his sins to God and confess them specifically. And then it's like he continues in verse six. It's like he starts getting excited, right? He wants to invite everyone else to the party. He says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. And then an image which is a little too close to home this week. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach that. What's he getting at? Well, here in the Old Testament, a picture of floods and mighty waters is a picture of judgment and punishment. And here David is saying, look, even the mighty waters, even God's punishment, and now that I've confessed my sins, I am free. I will not experience that punishment. That God's not going to count these sins against him. And then verse 7, he says, you're my hiding place, right? And he says, you're going to protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. 
And continuing on, it's almost like he puts on the voice of God in the first person in verse eight. He, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. And then he, he calls upon another and she says, in essence, hey, children of God, don't be like horses or mules who need a bit and bridle to be controlled. Or unless, if you don't have those, they won't go to God. He's like, go to God on your own. Right, as children of God, return to him, come to him. Because many of the woes are the wicked, of, of the wicked in verse 10, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. So from then in verse 11, the conclusion, after all this, right, after sharing what it means to be blessed, I mean, if you're blessed when your sins are forgiven, and then it was disrupted, and whatever reason David didn't share, he was silent in his, he felt all the symptoms of that, but then he acknowledged his sins to God. At the end, he says this, he says, verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. He says, sing, all you are upright in heart. Right, the assumption is that once those sins are confessed, right, that we can then look up, right? God calls and invites us to look up, right? Not to continue to look down in guilt and shame, but recognizing when that conviction comes that God says, no, confess your sins and look up, look up, look up. So David provided a picture of what it looks like for unconfessed sins, but then when you do confess your sins and what can happen from it, we no longer need to look down because of Jesus, ultimately, we can look up. So what does this mean for us today? Well, as we consider how to apply this to our lives today, first, I wanna give you some bad news before I give you some good news, right? The bad news is the sobering reality that's clearly laid out in scripture. Um, it could be, we could try to ignore it, but it's the truth. And like a good physician, we want, you need to hear the bad news to get the right diagnosis. And the bad news is that all of us, Every single one of us, me included, have sinned. All of us have seen that line and we've stepped over it. We've transgressed that line. All of us have sinned. All of us, none of us, none of us have loved God perfectly. None of us have loved our neighbor or others perfectly. All of us have sinned, meaning we've broken one of God's commands or laws by what we've done or failed to do. In light of our sins, the outcome is a broken relationship with God. Right? It's, it's the penalty that is paid. Every time a law is broken, you have to pay a penalty. And the, bro, the, the penalty that comes with breaking one of God's laws is a broken relationship with God. And it's a relationship that we can't fix on our own. It's a relationship that we cannot restore on our own. We can't do enough good works, serve enough, do enough to make that relationship right. So that's the bad news of Scripture. But the good news is this, is that God didn't leave us there. God loves us. God loves you. God loves me too much to not tr make the attempt to fix that problem. And so he sent his son. His son took on human flesh, right? And Jesus came to be with us, not just to be with us, but to live the perfect life that none of us could live, right? That he saw the line. He never crossed over that line, right? As we read in John chapter 8, he, everything he did, always he did to please God the Father. And he did it perfectly. And so because of that, he didn't have to pay a penalty. He's the only one. And because of that, he could see all of humanity who was called into, into the courtroom and needed to pay that penalty, seen as guilty. And Jesus alone could say, I'm innocent. They're guilty. I'll pay their penalty. Let them go free. And that's exactly what he did out of his great love for you and me. He said, I will pay that penalty. And so he paid that penalty by going to the cross, crucified in real time, nailed to a Roman cross, 
And he was crucified. He took on that penalty and took on not only physical death, but spiritual death as he took on the sins of the world. And as he did that, he said, I will be considered guilty so that those that I love, you, me, all of us can be considered innocent because of the righteousness of Jesus. And for every single person who believes that God did this, for every single person who hears this, believes that message that Jesus actually did that for us, the, the, the promise of God, the promise of scripture is that we receive a new life in Christ, that that broken relationship is restored. And as a broken relationship is restored, it's both for now and forever, forever. And we never lose that relationship. And so the challenge is, though the power of sin is broken, the presence of sin remains. And so those lines are still there. And as we continue to live, we still find ourselves crossing over those lines. The promise of God in Scripture is that we don't lose the relationship with God, but we do lose that sense of connection with Him, that intimacy, that sense and feeling that we're open with God and He's open with us. And so there's, that's why God's given us the gift of confession. It can feel like a hard thing. It doesn't feel fun to bring up the places where we've disregarded God and even rebelled against him. But when we bring up those specifics, when we confess our sins to God, like David, we can see and experience the forgiveness that we've received already in Jesus Christ. And we could experience that afresh. God invites us to do all of this through the gift of the confession of our sins. So how are we to do this in light of what we've considered today? Let me give you some steps. One, first we need to admit that sin and our sins are real. We have to admit that sin and our sins are real. Right? That God does give us a way to live and that we have to admit that we have gone our own way. And that we've either ignored what he said or we've said, I know better and I'm going to go my way. And that's something we have to admit. It's not something which may be popular, especially in the 21st century, but it's true. And if we're going to be real with God and have his diagnosis and help, we have to start by being real with him and admit that sin and our sins are real. From there, acknowledge the impact of these sins. That really has an impact. Yes, the consequences, but also our relationship with God. And acknowledge that the symptoms are real. They're real. And some things we may realize, some things we may not realize. My guess is that someone who's close to you, if you're married, your spouse knows it. If you're close to friends, they know it. If you're in a church family, we definitely know it, right? We are all sinners who need grace. None of us are perfect, right? And therefore, we have to acknowledge the impact of these sins and specifically impact, acknowledge the impact of our sins on our connection with God. Not that we lose that relationship, that's guaranteed, but we lose that sense of closeness, that blessedness, being blessed that David talked about in Psalm 32, one and two. So third, we need to then identify and name specific sins. What are the areas in our life where those lines that God's laid out that we've stepped over? Ways that we have not acted in a loving way towards God, ways that we haven't acted in a loving way towards others. We've stepped over that line where we've broken God's laws and commands. And hear me, this is by following and obeying God's commands, that's not how we earn God's favor. No, he's given us his laws as a way of life. And so therefore, it's not how we earn God's favor, but in light of his favor, he calls us to live those out because he knows it's what's best for us. He's the perfect loving parent that we have to learn to trust. So we have to 
confess, we have to identify those specific sins. And we have to do it based on what God says in his word, not what we say based on what we may think or feel. Let me say that again. We have to identify sins based on what God has said, not just on what we think or feel. Because by nature, we will deceive ourselves, justify ourselves, and say it's really not that bad. But that's where we have to let God, who's the ultimate physician, get the accurate diagnosis so that we can then come and receive the healing and help and hope that he uniquely can give. So identify those specific sins. Fourth, then confess those sins to God. Confess them. Confess means to agree with, right? So to say, God, I agree with you that I have stepped over the line. God, I agree with you that I have not loved you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I agree with you that I have not loved my neighbor as I've loved myself. And it could be something along the lines of saying, I have sinned against you by doing fill in the blank, either through an attitude or action. And then say words which are very difficult to say. I'm going to confess to you, these are hard words for me to say. I was wrong. See, you felt it. It's hard to say those words, right? I'm telling you, Lori and I, we just had this conversation this week. It's like to say, look at her, say, Lori, I was wrong. I was wrong. And you were right. That is some humble pie to, I mean, that is not dessert, right? It is good stuff. But when you say it, I was wrong, there's freedom in that. And that's the way back into closer relationships. So say, God, I was wrong. I confess I've done this. Uh, and confess that specific sin to God. And lastly, then in light of that, embrace God's forgiveness and rejoice and look up again. Right? Like King David when he says, look, all of you are, pray to him because he's there, he's faithful. It's like David almost went through this like transformation in that moment. Once we realized, yeah, God doesn't count those sins against us. They're not a surprise to him. As we confess those specific sins to him, he receives that confession. And there's a sense of reconnect with him. Embrace that. Rejoice and look up. And so we're going to have an opportunity to put this into practice. As we go into a time of communion, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we're going to take a moment to confess our sins. But before we do, I want to give you one thing to remember one thing to do and some questions for deeper reflection this week. One thing to remember is this, out of the sermon, God provides the gift of confessing our sins so we can renew our sense of connection with him and get back on track, get back on track with him, right? So remember that, that God provides us. It's ultimately a gift. It may not feel good, but right, sometimes the best treatments, if you've been physical through PT or physical therapy, you know what I'm talking about, right? Going through physical therapy doesn't feel good, but it sets things right. God invites us to that, to confess our sins to him. And it's a gift. And he gives us that strange gift of conviction to get our attention. And we could choose to ignore it or choose to take action on it. And as we do, he meets us in it. One thing to do out of all this, identify your specific sins, right? Confess them to God. And then light of that, look up again in light of God's forgiveness given in Christ. So a couple questions for reflection, whether over lunch today, maybe tonight, or maybe uh, throughout this week with a friend, a small group, or maybe just on your own in your journal. Number one, how aware are you of the reality of sin and that your sins require your attention? Right? That's uh, it's a sobering question. I mentioned in the whole let's dance idea that sometimes 
dance partners step on each other's toes. This is kind of a, sto- a toe-stepping question because it's uncomfortable. But I love you too much not to ask it because, again, a good doctor is going to ask good questions to get to the right diagnosis. So my question to you is how aware are you of the reality of sin and that your sins require your attention? Don't ignore them. Don't ignore those, the feelings that God's tapping on your shoulder in love saying, come back to me. And unlike me years ago, leaving that little bump in the kitchen to grow over time, um, address it. Number two, what specific sins do you need to confess to God? All right, last week I invited you to write the word, take a blank piece of paper and just write the word anxieties at the top and list those anxieties and then cast them to God. This week I invite you, it could be uncomfortable, but it's gonna be super helpful to write down, say, my sins. Pray and say, God, what are those? And write some down. You'll find that it's very free to get honest with God, honest with yourself, and in the process, you can become more honest with other people. And then confess them to God. We'll do, give an example of that in a moment. Lastly, I ask the question, what could change, what could change if you confessed your sins to God on a consistent basis? Imagine what could change. Imagine where those areas that you're carrying a sense of burden and guilt that you could release it to God. Imagine places where you're stepping over the line thinking it's best for yourself, but it's really not. That to confess that and say, God, I'm confessing to you. Now I need your help with this. And he'll meet you in that prayer. That he could then move you forward. He'll walk with you in that. Imagine what could change if you made this part of your spiritual disciplines as you follow Christ. Again, as a reminder from this Let's Dance series, in many ways, as your pastor, one of my roles is to be like a spiritual trainer. Then if you've had a physical fitness trainer, you know, they sometimes tell you things you don't really want to hear, right? But here, hey, this is spiritual training and confessing is part of what it means to follow Christ. So what could change if you confessed your sins to God on a consistent basis? So now I want to give us a chance to put this into practice. And we're going to do it through this time of communion and sharing in the Lord's Supper together. As a reminder, right, communion, which is, uh, one of the sacraments. It's a picture of it's God's a picture of God's invisible grace, and it's seen in a visible way. Right? God has given us these gifts to share together. It's a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. And so, as we do, remember this: communion and the Lord's Supper is given to us as a way to re- to remember what Jesus has done for us, to thank Him for what He's done for us, right, and to celebrate what He's done for us, and what He's done for us is to die that sacrificial death on the cross that I mentioned before for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we do, as we do, I want to read in a moment from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, as we prepare our hearts. Let me get set up. So as we come to this table, hear these words from one of Jesus' closest disciples in first john chapter one he says if we can if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Since we come to this time of the Lord's Supper, before we move into it, we want to take a moment 
to practice this confession. Um, here's how we're going to do that. We're going to create a space now for you to do that. And uh, there's a prayer, just one of many prayers, that a prayer that I typically uh, follow a, as an example. Um, I just want to read this to you, and we're going to leave this up on the screen as an example for you as we go into this time of confession. Something like this. God, you are merciful and loving. I confess that I have not trusted your word or obeyed your commands. I have sinned by doing, and fill in the blank. And then saying, I was wrong, and I'm truly sorry. I confess my sins. I need you. I love you. And thank you for loving me first. Amen. And so before as we come to this time of, of the Lord's Supper and Communion, let's take a moment to confess our sins to God. I'll leave the prayer up just as an example. You can use this or in the quietness of your heart. Start with one. Um, if this is new to you, just start with one example. Um, for others, if there's additional sins you want to confess, please do so. But may this be a gift to you, a time of silence uh, to confess our sins. Let's take some time. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, indeed you are merciful and loving. And thank you for Jesus' words in the parable of the prodigal son and how when that son returned, how he was welcomed and embraced. And God, you welcome and embrace us every time we come back to you. God, I thank you that you're not standing there wagging your finger the face that brings about more shame or guilt. No, Lord, you are there to receive us back. And you are there in that way because of Jesus, his life, his death, and yes, his resurrection. And so, Lord, as we take this time to reflect on the meaning and significance of the death of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, may we remember what he's done for us. God, may we thank him for what he's done for us. Lord, may we celebrate the goodness, God, of your amazing grace, a gift that we did not deserve, which ultimately is a restored relationship with you in and through Christ. So Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would come, that you would move in and through this time and through these elements, that you would reconnect us, Lord, with you in a powerful way. Thank you that you've heard our confessions. Thank you that you've received them. Lord, renew us, strengthen us, continue to restore us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he gathered with his disciples, in the midst of that meal, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke that bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. He said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Later on in the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. He said, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul later wrote that, for as long as we eat of this bread, for as long as we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. And so we'll receive these elements uh, through this kit. So I invite you to peel back that top layer. And, uh, and as a reminder, this, this table, this time is, is one of, it's not a Presbyterian table or specific a New Providence Presbyterian Church table. This is a table for all who have named and received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so these are the gifts of God for us, the people of God. Um, and as we do, let's receive these gifts. The body of Christ given for you. Take and eat. Blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. Let's pray. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, again, we give you thanks. But we can, we can never thank you enough Lord, even if we thanked you from now to the end of the day, even if we thanked you from the now to the end of this week, to the end of this year, forever, Lord, it would still not be enough because of how much you have done for us. God, may we be a grateful people. Continue to shape in us a heart of gratitude. And in this moment, God, we do again thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that you didn't leave us on our own, separate from you with that relationship broken, but you made the way for us to be restored. And God, may we live out that relationship. So God, thank you for again for hearing our confessions. Lord, continue to build in us that discipline so we can continue to bring ourselves to you. Help us not to ignore the symptoms, but to respond to that strange gift of conviction in the days and weeks, months, and years ahead. We give ourselves to you. We praise you. We thank you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.